right, well, good morning. Uh, my name is Joe, and I am the worship pastor here, and I'm excited to be able to preach this morning. Last week, I was, had the opportunity to preach at Living Hope Marysville for their Big Give service, and so that was really neat. Um, they did have two services, so by the time the second service, I swore I'd said this already, and so that was interesting. Um, and then today, as I get to preach, I, it just reminded me of, of really what Aaron goes through in a very small way. Aaron's preached for like 36 weeks straight. And so I only say that he's, he's guest speaking at the church uh, today as well. Um, if you get a chance, just shoot him a text or an email. And what he does isn't easy. And so and we've all benefited from what God is doing through him. And so just uh, if you think, get a, think about that, do that. I think you would appreciate that. Today we're going through um, Ghost Stories, a series that we're walking through. Uh, the Holy Spirit and what he does inside the believer. Uh, and at the end of this service, as we had last week, we'll be able to see another testimony from one of the members here. And it's sure to be an encouragement as well. Last week, Pastor Aaron talked about when, the, when a Christian, when, they, when you first put your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and He dwells inside you. And today, we're going to look at what the Holy Spirit does on a daily basis in the life of a Christian. And so we're going to get right into it. If you would, get your Bibles out. They're on your phone, or it'll also be on the screen. And let's stand in honor of God's Word as we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, 16 through 26. God's word says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has to change our lives, to conform us into the image of Christ, and I pray that happens today. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, um, that we would leave any preconceived notions or ideas that we have about certain passages, and God, that we would just hear from you today and learn to trust in your word. We want to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week, Pastor Aaron talked about... That when you get saved, when you're born again of the Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to see that you receive the Holy Spirit, however, the dwelling is the same. And what I mean by that is when you receive the Holy Spirit, it dwells inside you, but it dwells inside the same flesh that you had before. If we look at the beginning again, he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and vice versa, they're opposing to each other. So I want to look at the first common misunderstanding of this. Most people will read this, or most people with this idea that we have the Spirit and we still live in the fleshly body, they'll say that that's not possible. That you either, the flesh is gone and therefore you don't sin, or if you do sin, that means you don't have the Spirit, you're still in the flesh. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And so, to help us understand, we're going to look at a couple different things here. The first thing, we're going to look at the unbeliever before you're born again, before you have the Spirit. And the reality of it is, the unbeliever has no desire to please God. 
Now, I have to say this because it's a theme that's becoming more prevalent in our time, but it's went all the way back to the first century, and this idea that there's good in us, that there's a desire to please God, that we have an ability to do righteous things. Now, I'm not negating the fact that we all have the ability to do good moral things based on how we were taught, but the reality of it is, apart from faith, we cannot please God. That's what Hebrews 11.6 says. Let's look at that. It'll be on the screen. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without the Spirit of God, an unbeliever cannot please God because there is no faith, there is no spirit, there's only a desire to please themselves. Paul says it in Galatians 3, earlier in this book. Look at verse 2, it says, He asked them, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing it with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, you're now being perfected by the flesh. And what Paul's saying here is he clarifies, and the whole letter of Galatians talks about this idea of faith and works and the obedience and how we earn our right. We don't. We're, we receive the Spirit by faith. He says, are you so foolish to think that now that somehow has changed? And again, my whole point with this is without faith, without the Spirit, it's impossible to please God. And you get the Spirit when you believe in Jesus. There's only one voice in the unbeliever, and that's to do as you see fit. There is no voice saying you need to please God. Now, Christ is the opposite of that. Christ came. And he was born of the human flesh, but he didn't have the sinful nature that you and I have. He was born of a virgin birth. That's critical. He wasn't cursed by sin. God only had, Christ only had the Spirit of God living in him. There was only one voice in his head, and it was to do the will of the Father. Now, that doesn't mean that he wasn't weak in the human body in a physical sense. And we're going to get to this whole flesh, and we can get confused on the words. Jesus had a human body, meaning that he felt pain, he felt hunger, he felt the emotions that we feel, yet there was only one voice inside of him, and that was to do the will of the Father. An example of that is think of him when he's praying in the garden, as he knows that the, the cross is coming, and he's crying and he's praying, God, if there, let this cup pass, but not my will, but your will. Jesus knew he grew up in the physical body. He scraped his knees. I'm sure he got bruised. And he knew the torture that he was about to endure. And he did not want to go through with that in a physical sense. Yet there was only one voice in his head. Not my will, but yours. Now if that would have been you or I, there would have been another voice going on. Doesn't God care about you? Why does he want you to die? These people don't deserve it. But see, Jesus didn't have that. Because he only had the Spirit of God in him. The reality of it is that's what you and I long for. And you and I will have one day when we get this new body. But in the meantime, we are stuck with both. We have the Spirit of God living in us inside a body that was still cursed by sin. And before we get further into this, I want to show right in this passage where Paul, he, he tells us that these two exist together. At the end of verse 17, if you look at that, it says, They are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you, do, you want to do. Now, if you only have one, Say you only have the flesh. How is the Spirit keeping you from doing what you want to do? You don't have it. You only have the flesh. If you only have the Spirit, why can't you please God? There's no flesh to do, tell you any otherwise. But Paul says they're opposing each other. And they're keeping you from doing what you want to do. We have both of them. Now you might think, what about this passage where it says, The old is past, the new has come, right? That comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17. It'll be on the screen. It says, Therefore, anyone is, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is where I want to now clarify what we mean by the flesh. The reality of it is, and we're going to get to this later as Paul concludes this passage, but the reality of it is, is there is an old nature, an old creation that has been crucified to the cross. And God has given us a new creation to dwell inside the body that was trained by the old nature. 
I remember growing up, you saw the little, like the angel and the devil on the shoulder, you know, and constantly going back and forth. And, and I hated that because I thought, the devil doesn't live inside me. Like, that's, that's not a real thing. But actually, that illustration is very accurate as long as we define what those two things are. If we define the good as the Spirit of God and the bad as the flesh that was trained by the old self, then it's an actually very accurate depiction. So when the Spirit of God says, hey, do this, the old self that's been trained says, I've never done that before. I don't want to do that. That's not how I was taught. That, that's not going to feel good to me. I don't want to do those things. We mentioned the old has passed away, the new has come. But in verse 4 of that same passage, Paul talks about this again. He says, for while we are still in this tent. Now, he, earlier he talks about what the tent is. The tent is our body, the dwelling that we have. He says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. It's not that we don't want to have a body. We want to have a better one. That's why he goes on to say, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. We have this fleshly body who's been trained by the old nature, and it fights this new idea, this new nature that wants to please God. And I think sometimes God uses the physical to help us understand the spiritual. So let's look at a physical scenario that accurately depicts this. We've all tried or have this idea that we want to lose weight, get in shape, something. And even if we never went through it, we all understand this analogy. And what happens is you're sitting on the couch, eating Cheetos, watching Netflix, and you realize, I've got to make a change, right? And you make this decision, I'm going to do something different. I don't want to be this way anymore. Is that all it takes? No. Your body's sitting there, it's like, I'm cool with eating Cheetos and watching Netflix. You know, this is easy. So you, so you have to make the intention. This new desire in you says, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get up in the morning. We're going to run. We're going to start eating good stuff. Is that all it takes? No. Your body's like, hold on a second. You haven't made me tie my shoes in five years. You want me to get up and run? That's not going to happen. So anyhow, you push on this new desire. We're going to get up. And you wake up. The alarm clock goes off. And what happens? Your body convinces you that you've never been so tired in your life. This is the most tired you've ever been. And if you get out of bed, you're going to do harm to yourself. See, the body's fighting this new idea. So you do this stuff. Say you start running. Is it easy? No. You get shin splints or a rash in all kinds of places, right? <laughs> like it's, it's terrible. I'm speaking from experience. I hate it. But there's this new desire in us to make a change which is better for us. We know the outcome if we push through, but the body has been trained the body has been taught that this is easier and it is going to fight you every step of the way. Nobody gets to where they want to go with ease. It's hard. And the same thing we see here in the spiritual life. We have been given a new nature. The old nature is crucified to the cross. We no longer desire to serve ourselves. We desire to please God, but our body doesn't want to change. And it's fascinating when you look at the body. The body fights very hard in the physical to, to stop a change from happening. It's no different in the spiritual our body has been trained by the old nature. And that's why Paul says they're opposing one another to keep us from doing what we want to do. The reality of it is, in the physical sense or in the spiritual sense, we have an ability to choose which one to give in to. They're equal in their force. Now, we know the spirit can overcome it all, but the flesh is, has got to be strong enough to fight against it. And how we choose, unfortunately, gets displayed on the outside of our lives. People see who we're giving in to. Let's look at the works of the flesh. Now, before we get into it, I find it interesting that it's works of the flesh, plural. And it is, it's something you work towards, something that you choose to do. You have to do these things. 
Now, I'm not going to go through all this stuff just for the sake of who might be watching, kids in here, whatever it may be. I'm just going to read through. I'm not going to, we know what these are. And I want to show how they're categorized. We see that there's three categories to these sins through these works of the flesh. The first one is a sexual sin. It's sexual morality, impurity, sensuality. Your Bible might say adultery, fornication, uncleanness. And what it is is that God has a design for our physical relations, and this is a perversion of that. And we're not to do those things. The second group that we see is a spiritual sin, idolatry and sorcery. Coming to God wrongly, worshiping a false God, or using whatever, drugs or anything to get closer to God. God has a perfect way through the Spirit to worship Him. And we give in to the flesh. It's a perversion of His design. This third category is the largest, and it's social sins. We see strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, all these things. And what Paul says in things like this, it, it applies to all, all three categories. But I find it interesting that God obviously cares about our physical relations. He cares about our spiritual relations. But he must care an awful lot about our, our social relations too and how we interact with one another. Or Paul wouldn't have used so many words. The reality of it is if we're to be the light into a dark world... And yet we do these things among one another. Who are we saying Jesus is? Sadly, if we give in to the works of the flesh, we show the world that Jesus is just like them. And that's not okay. That's why Paul gives us a warning. Look at verse 21. Paul says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a strong warning that Paul says in multiple letters. And I'm not about to weaken this warning by saying that's not what he meant. That's exactly what he meant. Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. However, we do need to understand what he's talking about and who these people are. Paul is not saying that anyone who has done these things will not, will not see the kingdom of God. Because he says this in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul makes it very clear those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But God can wash you from these things. It's not too late. Christ can wash those sins away. You don't have to remain in those sins. But Paul also doesn't talk about a Christian who falls into these things in a moment of weakness. He's not talking about that person who won't inherit the kingdom of God. When Paul says those who do such things, in the Greek that means a continual, habitual practice of these sins. Somebody who does these continuously without repenting. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. No one can practice sinning and make a continual habitual habit of that if they're in Christ. However, the Christian still has sin because the flesh desires to please itself. 1 John 1, 8, we said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The reality of it is, we have this new nature inside of us that prevents us from continuing in a life of sin. However, we still struggle with sin because the flesh was trained in the old way. In 1 John 2.1, this is why he goes on to say, My little children, 
I'm writing these things to you so, you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, know we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The reality of it is we still struggle with sin. But it will not continue. We will not make a habit of this if we have the Spirit inside us. The Spirit just flat will not allow us. Think of David. David is someone God called out years and years before he ever became king. God made a covenant with David. The Messiah was to come through his line. Yet David had an affair with Bathsheba. And this went on for a while. But then at some point, God had enough, and he confronts him. And when he confronts him, David repents of that sin. See, the reality of it is God will not let you stay in that sin if you're his child. Now, one could argue, though, it should happen quicker to us because we have the Spirit living inside of us instead of David who didn't. But the reality remains. The proof that you are saved, the proof that the Spirit lives in you is that you will not continue in these sins. You will repent of those as the Spirit makes it known. The warnings for those who practice or continue unrepented sin, and it's serious. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourself. If you're living this way, you're not a Christian the Spirit of God is not inside you, but it's not too late. Jesus can wash you of these things. But I fear today as well that there's many Christians today that think they're saved, and they're not. And the proof of that is in this right here. There's been many Christians, unfortunately, we see it in Matthew 25, that said a prayer, you know, say they believe in Jesus. And the reality of it is God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. The proof is in the pudding as we've heard it, right? God will not allow you to continue in sin. That is the proof that you're his child. It doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that you're going to fall in moments of weakness. But you will not remain in that or you're not a child of God. If we go back to the analogy of trying to lose weight. Tyler, he's a trainer. He knows this stuff. It's very frustrating when somebody says they want to do this stuff. But they never do. And at some point, if you never come through on what you say, the conclusion has to be that you don't really want to do this. And it's no different for the Christian. A, someone who continues to struggle with sin proves that the Spirit is not in them. You cannot make a practice of sinning if you're a Christ follower. But again, it doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin, but God will not leave you there. That's the benefit of being His child. So though a Christian still struggles with sin, his life will not be described by the works of the, works of the flesh. Rather, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Look at verse 22 with me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I love that last little part. There's no law against doing these things. This is what everybody wishes everybody would do, right? But this is the fruit of the Spirit. And I mentioned before the works of the flesh, plural, meaning that you chose to do this, you work towards this. This here is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. And the word fruit here depicts a growth. It, it depicts no effort, no labor. It's something you're given by God. That is the message of the entire letter of Galatians. You don't earn your salvation. God gives it to you. You can choose to follow the flesh, and you work towards that. Or you're given the fruit of the Spirit. And I want to walk through these and just give some brief definitions of these because it's, it's amazing what God gives us freely that we don't earn. First one is love. The greatest of all virtues, the power that moves us to respond to someone's need expecting nothing in return. It's also interesting that love 
is the opposite of every one of the works of the flesh. The second one we see is joy. Now, this is an inward hope in spite of the outward circumstance. It's not happiness. Happiness depends on a favorable circumstance, yet you can have joy in the midst of the horrible circumstance in Christ. I think of Paul after being flogged and beaten in prison, singing praises to God. He's not happy about getting beaten. There's nothing happy about that, yet he has joy in Christ, knowing that this is temporary, and he knows where he's going. Second one's peace, the peace of God. God gives us the peace of God. Again, in the midst of these circumstances, we can have peace, knowing that we have peace with God. It doesn't matter if the world comes against us, we have peace with God. Long-suffering, just the ability to accept irritating or painful situations. Kindness and goodness is generosity and consideration for others. Faithfulness, reliable, trustworthy, loyal, gentleness. Now this one's interesting because it's not to be misunderstood with weakness. The word gentleness actually means a gentle force or a gentle strength. One commentator said it's the a, a quality of someone who's angry always at the right time and never the wrong time. It doesn't happen apart from Christ. The last one's self-control. The ability to restrain from inappropriate passions. Now, the world knows self-control. The world knows self-discipline, yet they do those things to benefit themselves. A Christian gets to practice self-discipline to benefit others. These are the fruit of the Spirit. They're given to you. You don't earn them. You don't work for them. They're given to you by God. So I said before, we can say we believe in Jesus, but our life will depict which, which one we're following. And God will not allow you to maintain a life of sin. You will struggle, but it won't define your life. So Paul leaves us here with the present reality in verse 24 as he recaps what he said in the beginning. Verse 24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. And this goes back to what I said before. The old nature has been crucified to the cross. We have a new nature living inside of us, but yet it dwells in a body that was trained by the old nature. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Though we've crucified that old nature and Christ has set us free from that and given us the Spirit, it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. And I want to take a moment and we're going to look at Romans 6 and just highlight Romans 6 through 8 as Paul gives a personal experience to exactly what he's talking about here. In Romans 6, 6 it says, For we know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now he says that the old body would be brought to nothing, and that word means to fade away, to idle down. Well, if we were to fade something out, there's no abrupt change. It's a, it goes from this and slowly into nothing. Just like you idle a car down, right? It's revved up and it slowly comes back down. That's what he's talking about here. We live, there's a struggle, but it is going in one direction. In Romans 7.21, Paul is very vulnerable in what he experienced with this exact thing in mind. Romans 7.21, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, or I, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The life of a Christian is a struggle, but it will end. 
If we go on to Romans 8.18, Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What's the suffering Paul's talking about? This battle that's waging war inside of the Christian. The battle between the flesh that was trained by the old nature and the new nature that is the Spirit of God. That battle is considered suffering. But again, the suffering will end. Paul continues in verse 22 of chapter 8. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions of sons, the redemptions of our bodies. Some people will take this passage in Romans and say this is Paul talking about before he was a Christian. That's not true. Paul is describing the life of a Christian. That's why he says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. One day, God will get rid of this body and give us a new one that is in line with the new, the new nature. But until then, it's a war. Until then, Paul says, we have to fight. Now, as I close, there's a question that's been asked to me many times when talking about things like this. And as I've thought of this question, it's a question I've asked, and if we're honest, I think we've all asked it. That is, why does God leave us this way? Why does God save us and leave us in a state of a constant battle? Why doesn't he take away the sin? Why doesn't he take away the desire? Why doesn't he allow us to serve him perfectly? And the reality is, I don't know. Scripture doesn't clearly tell us why. Scripture just tells us this is what it is. And though I can't give you Scripture to clear this up, as I thought about this question, God brought some things to my mind that I want to share that might encourage you as they've encouraged me. They're not Scripture, so take it or leave it. But living in this state until we see heaven, I've learned that every day, God does things for my good and for His glory. The reason he doesn't just take me to heaven, there's a purpose. And the God who loves me enough to send his son to die for me when I was his enemy, I can trust that God. And if he chooses to do something a certain way, it must be the right way to do it. Everything he does is for my good and for his glory. And because of this situation, I get to experience God's grace every single day. Think about that for a second. We know the war that's going on inside of our minds. We know the struggle that we have. And yet God never leaves us. God is there every single time. When we turn to him, when we confess, he's faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every day we see the grace of God as he walks alongside us, teaches us how to resist evil, picks us up when I fall, promising never to leave us there. And I know that he'll hold my hand all the way to heaven. The other thing is this experience removes all self-righteousness from us. Causes us to fully be dependent upon God because we know the struggle. People can see a life that looks good. But we know the inward thoughts. We know those desires that are still there fighting against what God wants us to do. And it forces us to be completely dependent upon Him and removes all self-righteousness. And the final thing that God brought to my mind. Could it be that this situation allows us to have true compassion for the sinner? How many of us get advice from somebody who hasn't went through what we've went through and we brush it off like, you don't understand, you don't know what we're talking about. But the reality of it is because we still have the old body that was trained by the old nature, we know the the struggles of a sinner. We know what they're going through. We have those same thoughts, those same desires, yet we have something different. And when they think at that moment that God can never love them, we know that he can. I think of 1 Peter 3.15 that says, always be prepared to give a response when someone asks of the hope that's within you. If your life is perfect and there's no struggle, obviously you should have hope. 
But in the midst of the same struggle they have, to still have joy and hope in Jesus Christ, that's, that says something to the world. And it shows the power of our God. Again, I don't know why God chose to leave us in this state, to suffer, to struggle along, all the way to heaven. But it must be the right way to do it. Because he is a good God that's proven to be faithful, that can be trusted. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come. And I want us to just bow our heads as we reflect on this as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, again, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you for the, the grace that you show us each and every day. And God, I pray right now that if there's someone struggling, if there's someone who is, is living a life that's, that's contrary to you, that God, I pray that you would just be all over them, that they would repent, that they would turn to you, and they would confess that, and that you would wash them of that. And God, I pray right now, too, that if there's a Christian who struggles with these thoughts and these desires and feels unworthy, God, that you remind them that you have saved them. You have called them to be your own. You've given them the right to be called the child of God. And God, that you would comfort them and give them patience as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And God, that we would seek to serve you until then. God, be with us now as we respond through song. Speak to our hearts and God, challenge us. I want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.